Welcome to Pastor's Class, a Bible study program brought to you by Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church. We pray this podcast will help enrich and strengthen your walk with Jesus Christ, and that it will lead you to read and study the scriptures more often. For more information about Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. And just say to the person next to you, I need you. you. Turn to the other side and say, I need you. you. Amen, amen. I recently heard Alistair Begg on the Truth For Life broadcast, and he said, the extrovert needs the introvert. Uh-huh, wow. The inspirational needs the analytical. The mystical needs the practical. The cautious needs the impulsive. The old need the young. And the prominent needs the obscure. We are all different but we need one another. The introvert shouldn't say to the extrovert, be like me. We have what we have to be able to give to one another. Not be like one another, but we have in us that which is needed in the lives of others. We're continuing tonight with part two of the series, Am I My Brother's Keeper? Am I My Brother's Keeper? As I mentioned last week, if you have questions, if there's anything that is not clear, if you just need more of an understanding of something that I've said, you can email me at som at crossoverchurch.tv. So you shouldn't leave this study with a question that you have unanswered. If I'm not able to answer it, then I'll find the answer for you. Or I may instruct you to do some study and some research, okay, on your own, because that's how we learn. And so as we go forward, I wanted to reveal our objection, objective, as we go forward in this study, because we do have an aim. And our objective is to gain a biblical perspective on what it means to be my brother's keeper and how to accomplish it. So we are going somewhere. Looking back to part one, Just a brief overview. Remember that brother refers to all of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a gender-specific situation here. It is referring to all of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our introduction was found in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. And remember... We're doing an introspection. We're looking within. We're asking a question of ourselves, where am I as it relates to this? 
not looking at wondering, oh, so-and-so should be here to hear this, but we are looking within. We discover who coined this phrase, am I my brother's keeper? It was who? Who coined the phrase? Cain, excellent. It was Cain. Cain lures his brother out into a field and kills him. Now, he murders him. That's what the Bible says. He murdered him. So that means that it was premeditated. That he probably was planning this for quite some time. It just didn't happen. He thought about it and he did it. He murdered him. And in verse 9 of chapter 4 in Genesis, God asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain replies to God as though he asked him a disrespectful question. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said, it was as if Cain was saying, God, art not thou his keeper? If he be missing, on thee be the blame and not me. Because what I am convinced of is that Cain, from his frame of reference, understood what a keeper was. Because one, he had opportunity to witness his brother Abel, who was a keeper of the flock. Not only did he have opportunity to understand what a keeper was, uh, um, a keeper was, excuse me, by the example of his brother Abel, but also is a possibility that he understood it from who he knew God to be and knowing God to be a keeper. So he knew what a keeper was. But sometimes one can know something to a fault because knowing something doesn't necessarily cause us to do anything differently than what we're doing or what we are about to do. So sometimes we can know something to a fault. We can have a whole bunch of information, but doing nothing with it. We have a whole lot of word, but doing absolutely nothing with it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so Cain knew the care it took, I believe, to be responsible for something and someone else. He was a tiller of the ground. He understood plants and vegetation. He had to know when to plant. So he understood what it meant to take care of something. But in his response, am I my brother's keeper? It was though he was trying to distance himself from what he had done. And so we looked at Old Testament and New Testament evidence 
that God has designed and how he has designed us to interact with one another in guarding and protecting one another. So are we our brother's keeper? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so tonight, if we have said, yes, I am my brother's keeper, then our next step is, then what is my responsibility? What am I now liable for? Because there's a liability involved. What am I liable for as my brother's keeper? And so as a reminder, the word keeper in the Hebrew language is shamar. And it means to hedge around something as with thorns. To hedge around something as with thorns to keep or to guard. Now imagine yourself with thorns around you. The ability to be able to protect your brother and your sister. We have the ability because it has been given to us by God. And so what is our responsibility to one another? To guard and protect. Our responsibility is to love. I'm going to say it on this side. Our responsibility is to love. Mm -hmm. Let's turn to 1 John 4, 19. 1 John 4, 19. And basically, this is going to be our accountability scripture before we actually get into our main text. And the reason why I call it our accountability scripture, just in case, just in case we are tempted to make excuses or defend ourselves. Because when we begin to read God's word, it's not me talking, but it's God. It's not me. So your issue is not with me. Your issue then is going to be with him. Okay? So let's read 1 John 4, 19 through 21. And it reads, We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, one, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother. Now, let's look at the excellence of love. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the excellence 
of love. And we're going to try to go through this verse by verse. And I struggle with going to chapter 13. And the reason why I struggle with us starting with chapter 13 is because chapter 13, without having done a study in chapter 12, was proving a little difficult for me. But we are going to go forward. Because in chapter 12, Paul talks about gifts. But then he makes a change. And in chapter 13, starts talking about love and then picks back up in 14, talking about gifts. And when we see something like that in the word of God, we need to take note of it. Chapter 12, he starts one conversation and then he stops it, goes to another conversation and then picks it back up in chapter 14. And chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is a very powerful scripture, very powerful scripture passage. This particular chapter is seen on wedding programs. It's exchanged in vows. The words have a beautiful, even a poetic sound uh, to them until poetry meets practical everyday living in the life of the saint. You hear what I'm saying? Until it meets with every practical, everyday practical living in our lives. A husband and wife, or, or, or they're standing at the altar, and whether they're looking and beaming in each other's eyes, and they are reciting this back and forth to one another. But how many of us know when it's time to actually Live love. It's a whole nother game. Uh, yes, it is. It's a whole nother game. As we look into 1 Corinthians, keep in mind that the Apostle Paul is not talking to unbelievers. He is talking to believers, not unbelievers. He's talking to believers. Before we start reading, we need to define love. And love is translated, it's agape in the Greek. And it's translated charity, meaning benevolent love. But look at this. It's benevolence, however, is not shown by doing what the person loved desires but what the one who loves deems as needed by the one loved. And I'm going to read that again. It's benevolence, however, is not shown by doing what the person loved desires, but what the one who loves deems as needed by the one loved. Can anyone think of an example in scripture 
Just think, don't be scared. Just think. Where this agape, as we defined it, is seen. Think about it. Say it louder so I can hear. Uh huh, that's good. Keep going. Keep going. Somebody, did somebody say? Yes. Who said that? Yes, Pastor Bass. Excellent. John 3.16. Let's turn. John 3.16. John 3.16. I'm going to go ahead and read. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave not what we desired, but he gave us what we needed because we were broken, we were fallen. Unless God reached out to us, we would want no parts of him. And so God gave to us not what man wanted, but what man needed as God perceived his need. As God perceived his need, his son to bring forgiveness to man. That's what God did for us. That's the type of love we're talking about. And that's the type of love that we can show, believe it or not, to one another. So let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Tongues here refer to actual human languages. And it's something to take note of that Paul mentions this because what it tells us is this must have been very important to the Corinthians speaking in other languages to the point where they probably were putting too much emphasis on it. They were putting too much emphasis on it. And what he's saying is that the better way, the better gift, what we can give to each other that is going to have eternal value is the manifestation of love. So I can speak in all types of languages. I can have all three or four different master's degree. I can have a doctorate. But if I have not love, it means nothing. So we can come to each other with our knowledge, our wealth of knowledge, but if we don't have love, what's it all about? Let's look at verse two. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith 
so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I can know every scripture in the Bible. I can know all of the doctrines of scripture, all the tenets of scripture. I can understand the times and the dispensations and look up at the sun and say, okay, this is yet. If I have not love, it means nothing. Now, I'm not saying, that's the apostle saying that. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can be as deep as I want to be. But if my deepness is void of love, you know what I'm talking about? Get up here and I read God's word and I teach Bible study and I get out here on the parking lot and can't even speak to my sister or speak to my brother. What love is that? Then all of what I've done is nothing. Nothing whatsoever. So I can conjugate Greek (laughs) and Hebrew All of that. But if I have not love, it amounts to nothing. Because Paul is letting us know what God puts value on. And he puts value on love and devotion. So it grieves him, I believe, when we're fighting one another when we're upset with one another to the point of, I don't want to get into my next uh, part, but I'll, I'll say it. When, you know, we, we, we don't even, reconciliation, what you mean reconciliation? Okay, verse three. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, look at that, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. I can endure all types of suffering for the gospel. I can be present every time the doors of the church open up. I can serve in five and six and ten different ministries. I can attend the men's meeting. I can attend the women of purpose meeting. I can volunteer every time there is a need. But if I do not love the brethren, this is important. We have got to get this. If I do not love the brethren, the Apostle Paul says it profits him nothing. Because in those first few verses, one, two, three, he's talking um, I. He's using I. And then he makes a shift as we go into verse 4. And we'll see that in a minute. And so I can do all types of great things and works in God. But if there is no love, 
it profits me nothing. We have got to go to Matthew 7.22. Go to Matthew 7.22. Matthew 7.22. Ask somebody, how are you loving? How are you loving? Seven, twenty-two. I'll go ahead and I'll start reading. It says, "Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Ah, uh, and in your name cast out demons." And in your name perform many miracles. Wow. Uh-huh. 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is serious. It is. It's, it's very serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what that passage tells us is that we, we can do, we'll, we'll be able to do the, the, the miracles. We'll be able to lay our hands on the sick and they recover. But if there is no love. Let's look at verse 4. And now we're going into verses 4 through 7. And remember, uh, I mentioned a few minutes ago, at the, right now there's a shift because he starts out talking in the first person and now he it will be talking in the third person. And one commentary described uh, verses 4 through 7 as 14 predictions because basically as Apostle Paul goes through each one, Literally, in the sense, he's saying to the Corinthian church that if you do this, this is going to take care of all your problems. If you do this love thing, it is going to take care of all of your problems. Here is the solution. Here is the answer right here, and it's a four-letter word, love. Basically, he's saying it's that simple. It will take care of all of your problems. But let's look at verse 4. And we're going to go to, through it actually relatively, quick, relatively quickly. So 14 predictions. Half of them negative, half of them positive. The first one, love is patient. Love is patient. Patience is the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. To be wronged and not retaliate. Because God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Not you, not me, but him. Love is patient. So again, patience is the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. Love is kind. This is a response to being wronged. This is the response to being wronged. Kindness. 
That's why we can't do this apart from the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But think about it. When wronged, are you ready to show kindness? No. Not most times, if we're honest. No. It is not jealous. We can look at the story of Joseph and his brothers, and we can really get a good picture of what jealousy really is. They sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him, wanting what he had, which I believe was not his coat, was the love of this, their, his father, their father. They wanted to experience that same love. Sometimes we can get jealous. And we see our Heavenly Father doing things in the lives of one another. We can get jealous. Why are you not loving me like that, God? <laughs> I've been believing and I've been praying for this and I've been praying for that, but you gave it to him. You gave it to her. And then like, we can't even rejoice. We do it. Love does not brag. Vain. It's a vain display of one's worth. This is what I have. And because I had this, now you need to give me this. Someone will come into our church because I have a license to minister. This is what you should do. You should put me up here and let me preach and teach. It is not arrogant. It's not puffed up as some translations say. Puffed up is a way of thinking or behavior or a behavior that suggests that we are smarter or more brilliant or brighter than someone else. Does not act unbecomingly, it's not rude. Love is not rude. So if we're saying that we are our brother's keeper, and we have the thorns about us to protect one another, and we know that our responsibility is to love one another, then we are not rude to one another. It does not seek its own, meaning that it does not demand, love does not demand its own way. It prefers another over themselves. Love. Ask somebody again, how you loving? Because remember, we're doing an introspection. We're looking within. We're not looking at the person next to us. 
We're looking within. Love is not provoked, meaning it's not irritable or touchy. Can't ask you a question. You irritable and touchy. Over what? <laughs> what? What? And you know what we as women use as our excuse, but the devil is a liar. We've been told that too long. Too long we've been told that our hormones give us an excuse to be irritable and touchy. The devil is a liar. He is a liar and we have believed it. That's what's sad. So when that time comes, we need to get before God. Uh-huh. Some of us need to apologize to our husbands. Uh-huh. We need to apologize because we have believed a lie. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And we saying some estrogen or whatever, gin or whatever, is dictate my mood? Too long. Probably need to go to work and apologize to some people at work because we have used it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not hold grudges. And listen to this, will hardly even notice when wronged. You know we need help. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. We have too much to do. Let it go. We have work to do of eternal value and importance. And we are letting things get in the way. And we have got to let them go. What we don't know how to do is apologize. And this is the season of it. This is the season of the apology. The season of the apology. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And you know, I can hear In my mind, I don't know who it's coming from or if it's coming from anybody. And I hear that, but what if? But what if this? But what if they did that? Now, based on what I read here, Paul doesn't give any type of conditional clause. 
He doesn't. He doesn't give a conditional clause. So if you ask me that question, I really wouldn't know how to answer that. All I could do is point you back to God's word. Because there's no condition here. He says, love. This is what it is. And either we're going to do it or we're not. So love, verse 7, so love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Believes all things, bears all things, excuse me, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Listen at what the New Living Translation says. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. Always stand your ground in defending him. I'm going to read verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. From, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face now I know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I also have been fully known, but now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest is love. But the greatest is love. Paul concludes with a discussion in these verses on the permanence of love. Everything else will fade away. Our gifts will fade away. This earth will eventually fade away. But love never will. And so what that says to me is that love is eternal. It's eternal. So even when we get to heaven and we get to glory, there's going to be a whole lot of loving going on. So we need to practice down here. Because if it's difficult for you to love, it's going to be difficult for you to be in heaven. It is going to be difficult for you to be in heaven. When we get there, God's not going to be there up there and Jesus counseling us. <laughs> On our past history and so forth as to why we're not loving we can do that down here so that we can begin to get some things right. But up there, that's not going to take place. Because love is going, it is eternal. It is eternal. So everything else is going to fade away. But not love. I'm going to read to you John 13, 34, and then we're going to begin to close. 
You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. That's John 13, 34. Ask somebody, how are you loving? It says, a new command, excuse me, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Those are the words of Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus. One of the things I find at times is the problem, and we're going to look at actually a quote, um, because I believe that this is helpful. The quote says this, to move toward another person, we must 100% give up on that person. Now, hold on for a minute, though. I, I, I mean, there's another part to that, but I can hear some, oh, finally. <laughs> finally. Finally, I can give up on her. Finally, I can give up on him. No. There's another part to this. Not give up on God working in their lives, but give up on demanding or requiring anything from them to nourish our souls. Because oftentimes in one another, that's what we look for. That's what we look for. And we get disappointed. Only then are we free to move toward them in love. And that's Dr. Lawrence Craig. He's a Christian psychologist. I'm going to read it one more time. To move toward another person, we must 100% give up on that person, not give up on God working in their lives, but give up on our demanding or requiring anything from them to nourish our soul. Only then are we free to move toward them in love. I really believe that some of us are in relationships or have relationships that if we apply this, we're going to see a difference, not, just, not necessarily in the relationship itself, but in us, in you. The relationship may not change. The individual may not change, but I can change. So after hearing all of that, what are the implications? Two, love is essential among the brethren. Love is essential among the brethren. Two, love should be our greatest aim. Love should be our greatest aim. Love should be our greatest aim. I think some of us probably will need to readjust our goals this year. Add this to it. My goal is to love. This is my goal. And Paul has mapped it out for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
we have as believers no excuse. Because we already see that love bears all things. That it believes all things. We have no excuse. Application. And you can stand as we close. Thank you for listening to Pastor's Class. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more messages and Bible study teachings, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. If you live in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, come visit us at our home location, 5340 Baltimore Avenue, Hyattsville, Maryland, 20781. Pastor's Class is a weekly Bible study that occurs Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. at our home location. We would love for you to join us. May God bless you and guide you as you continue to study to show thyself approved in the grace of Christ Jesus.